0: Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. All right, I want to continue with our theme from uh, Little Things, Big Things Grow. And last time, uh, last two weeks ago, because Deb did a great job on Mother's Day, who had a great Mother's Day last Sunday? I hope you girls all did. And, uh, but... Um, I did a message on the Sunday night. Joel preached a brilliant message. Who's heard Joel's message? It was really good. You need to listen to it if, uh, if you've missed it. But I talked about um, our, our life is a seed and it requires consecra- consecration. And our life consists of sowing seeds. And uh, the scripture we bounced off in the beginning was Galatians 6 verse 7. It said, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. Whatever a person plants, he will harvest. And so that kind of set the, the thinking around what we, what we sow, we reap. What we, what we plant, we will harvest. And so we asked some questions about what, what seeds does God want us to start planting? And uh, if we haven't planted yet, what do we think we might need to start planting in our lives today? And uh, you know, maybe we've planted some seeds a while ago, and we haven't. We feel that we haven't seen them come to fruition yet. Have you got the patience and the steadfastness and the perseverance to hang on? And we looked at that, and we talked about really seeds are expression of faith in God uh, and His plan and purposes for our life. They can be seeds of spirituality, of relationship, of emotion, of finance, of health. And all of that kind of thing. But to, and so we, we unpack the process of growth, that it happens little by little. Uh, in fact, we don't even know how it works. But some, in Mark 4, it talks about, but all by itself, it sprouts up. And that's the thing about seeds. There's latent life in them. And so we don't understand often how these things work. But little by little, these things grow. But today, I want to talk about a different sort of growth that can start small and, uh, and then progress. And, um, you know, sometimes, uh, it's today, brace yourself, because it's not going to be a very politically correct message. I hope most of mine aren't anyway, but I'm deliberately not being politically correct today. Because I think that we actually need to call things out for what they are. We actually need to call sin, sin. It needs to be identified and acknowledged for what it is. And, uh, and, you know, some things never change. Sin has always been sin and will always be sin. And so I want to actually help us today to realize that, that uh, there are some things in our lives that we can put there and that we allow to grow that are actually not helpful or healthy. And so I'm going to hopefully give you some keys and insights to how to what to do with that. So the, the, the key thought this moment, this morning, comes out of James chapter one, verses thirteen to fifteen, <clears throat> and, it's, and it says this: Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame. Just think about that phrase, no one to blame. If you want a title for the message this morning, it's that, no one to blame. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby And it's called sin. Sin grows up into adulthood and becomes a real killer called death. And so we can see here in scripture that just as there is a process of seeds, of of good things that we sow in our life and they come to fruition, the seeds of the bad things that we sow in our life can come to fruition in a very unhealthy way. Out of little things, big things grow. Are there some little things in, in your life today that are growing that actually need to be addressed? Genesis 2.17 says this, But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in the day um, that you eat of it, you will surely die. It goes back to what happened in the Garden of Eden and the original uh, outworking of the problem that we find ourselves continually contending with is this this thing of sin. And it's rooted in the fact that we actually want to do things our own way. You know, we God gave man permission to enjoy everything. But the one thing he was asked not to was the thing that captured his attention. And sometimes it can be that way. And I'm going to give you an insight into how to overcome that. But it's kind of like... You know, you can do whatever you like, but don't do that. And it's like, we all focus on the one thing that we shouldn't be doing rather than everything else that we are able to be doing. It's just human nature and it goes back to the, to the fall. Genesis 3.6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom, she took the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And so it's kind of like you can look at things and all of a sudden you start justifying in your own mind, well, it's actually not bad. What, what would be, what's the harm in that? And we see things and we allow things and we change our perspective on things. And so we, we find ourselves going down and allowing some of these things to grow that are not going to be helpful. I want to talk about temptation leading to sin as um, one of the ways that little things That out of little things, big things can grow in our lives. The first thought is this, that we need to recognize the source of temptation. James 1.13, revisiting that scripture that uh, we read earlier. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he does not tempt anyone. There's a really common phrase that we all like to defer to. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't was your choice. The very expression of God's ultimate love towards you in that he gives you freedom of choice is the very thing that you throw back in his face and, and say, well, I'm going to choose to do the wrong thing. And then we wonder why we find ourselves in the situations that we find ourselves. We have the choice. The, the devil does not make us do it. We, cho- we choose to do it. I think it's a demonstration of God's love and trust is offered to us to receive, to empower us, to make wise choices. I love the Lord's Prayer. I I pray, pray it often. I pray parts of it just about every day. But lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. It's kind of like a surrender to the sovereign purposes of God that we can make in our lives. I'm praying regularly, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And this takes us to a place of of surrender before God. I think temptation is not really a test of our self-control. It's a test of our relationship with Jesus. How much are we focused on Jesus? Or is it just our self-control that we're relying on to help us overcome things? Temptation. Temptation. So we need to recognize the source of temptation. It's within us to overcome it. The second thought is we need to understand the process of temptation. And again, James 1, 14 and 15, following on from that previous scripture, it says this. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. <clears throat> when, not if. When, not if. When it is fully... When sin is fully grown, there will be a part of us that dies. And the ultimate price of fully grown sin is death, eternal death. But I think if we allow sin to grow in our relationships and our emotions in our finances, if we allow sin to grow in those areas, we will experience emotional, relational, financial death. And so we need to be careful what we allow to grow. When, not if. If that stuff is in there, it will grow. And so it becomes a challenge to do with it. So temptation. Temptation is actually, it talks. it's really like, a lure for fishing, it's, a, it's the, the image is the, the lure that attracts the fish and it's dangling in front of us all the time and it's enticing and it's jiggling around and you kind of think it won't hurt but that's what the image of temptation is, um, <clears throat> is like but if you're struggling with temptation at the moment, think about it this way, it's actually a compliment, it's a compliment to you. Because God knows that you can handle it. God knows. Um, it's all, he knows also that it's, it's exposing the devil's plan for your life. So your area of temptation that you're finding yourself being tempted in. And it's, you know, um, we all have areas that we're susceptible to. So if we're dealing with temptation, then it's exposing where the devil wants to bring a weakness into our life. And so in a sense, it's a compliment because it's kind of like, okay, you know, this thing is here, but I can deal with this. So the process of temptation is the temptation. And then there's the fantasy. We tend to rationalize it. You know, it's, it's like back in the Garden of Eden. Well, it doesn't look that bad. How could it be that? It couldn't hurt that much. It's only one tree. We rationalize we just allow one behaviour, one slip of a standard or whatever. You know, and, and it's, and it's yeah. we, we end up rationalising it. The thing about the tree was that, that they looked at the tree. And fantasy talks about what are we looking at? What are we allowing to uh, roll around in our thinking, in our minds? What are we looking at? What are we contemplating? What are we entertaining? Because this is the thing that will start these are the seeds that will start to, to come forth. In Matthew 6:22 and 23, it says this: "Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. You know, what we look at, what we allow in into our eyes, into our thinking, what we contemplate, what are we fantasizing about becomes part of that little seed that can keep on growing. So we have the temptation which we all find ourselves dealing with. We have a fantasy that we can, you know, uh, what we're embracing. Then we move towards sin. And yet the Bible tells us the, one of the things that we can do or that we should do is actually flee from sin. Let's not move towards it. So when we're thinking about the temptation, don't think, oh, here it comes again. I'm going to give in to it. I just can't. I'm not strong enough. Have a look at it and say, oh, here comes this temptation again. Devil, is that the best you've got? I'm bigger than this. I've got this. I can do this. I can beat this. And then, and then it's like the fantasy. What are you thinking about? Are you embracing and allowing yourself to go off with that fantasy? Or are you resisting it and, and thinking on something different? Why not look at the whole of the rest of the garden rather than that one single tree? Don't focus on that thing. Focus on everything else. And then move away from sin, not towards sin. Flee sin. Flee. When, it, when there's just this inkling of something happening, then hightail it out of there. Flee. It doesn't matter whether we've been Christians just for five minutes or 50 years. That's a, that's a tactic, is to flee. And then, you know, temptation, the process of temptation, then from moving towards sin, then the act of sin. And it's kind of like, well, you find yourself dabbling around the edges. How far is too far? Is it really, you know, should I, you know, often youth and young people will ask this question. Well, how far is too far? How far... How close to the edge can I get without falling off the edge? But I tell you what, when you get that close to the edge, it'll start to crumble underneath you. And before you know it, you're off the edge anyway. Stay white. Right, the question is not how far can I go before it becomes sin. It's like, what are we asking ourselves here? How far do we go? The thing about this is, that we the thing that we should be doing is boldly, rather than approaching the edge of how far we could go, is boldly approaching the throne of grace that we read about in uh, Hebrews. And uh, when we boldly approach the throne of grace, that is the thing that releases us and sets us free. So if you're considering a sinful course, you know, there are times in life when we think, you know what, stuff it, hang it, whatever. I'm just going to give in to this. I'm too tired of fighting. It's too hard. I haven't got it in me any longer. I'm just going to give in to it. You know, don't, you know what? Don't sell yourself short. You actually don't have to beat it. It's God in you that beats it. But don't give in to it. Don't sell yourself short. You are worth way more than that. Don't, don't sell yourself short. Because that's the, the thing about this thing is it, it's kind of like, well, it's all too hard. I'm just going to give into it. No, it's not. You, you're worth it. You're worth fighting for. You, you are worth fighting for. You're worth fighting for yourself. Don't sell yourself short. And maybe you know, maybe you're in sin now. Maybe there's some dark things happening in your world. Here's one word to you this morning: Stop. Stop. Just stop. And boldly approach that throne of grace. Because when we talk about the process of sin, we're talking about temptation, fantasy, moving towards it, acting on it. And then ultimately, it results in death. Our choices can result in death. From little things, big things grow. Death is a big thing. If it's a financial death or a relational death or whatever it may be, that's a big thing. Our choices can lead to death. Proverbs 1412 says this. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Well, that's pretty, it's like, well, if it seems right, then how do we like you could start second guessing yourself around a scripture like that. That a path before each person that seems right. We are masters at justifying doing the wrong thing. We are masters at justifying. Oh well, I should speak in the first person here. I'm a master at justifying, doing the wrong thing, entertaining things that I know I shouldn't be. Master of that. And then this, you know, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Let's have the courage to make the right and healthy choices. And let's think a bit, let's magnify the consequences of sin. Let's think about, okay... Just say, for instance, you allow yourself to go down the track of sin and you get caught. What are the consequences of that going to be? You know, who are the the people that it's going to hurt? What are the damn, the long-term consequences going to be? Magnify those consequences because you're going to go, you know what? It's actually not worth doing that for that moment of pleasure. I'm just going to pull back and I'm going to steer the straight course. And so we can, the process, when we understand the process, it actually guards us. And so we think about who it might affect. Nothing in our life reaches maturity in a moment. Things begin to be, they grow, they ripen, it takes time. And so it is with nature, it is in character and in the moral world. Sin is a growth, it matures and then its fruit is death. The growth of sin may be slow at first, but it ripens fast as the time of harvest draws near. You know, when we allow these things to grow, all of a sudden it starts to get away from us and we can't control it anymore. How, how do we know when sin has nearly approached maturity? Here's some thinking when, around how do I know that sin has kind of got a strong hold on me? So, firstly, um, our conscience is dulled. All of a sudden, we're, we're not as sensitive in our conscience to things that we would have been before. That's one sign that sin is starting to mature in us. Another sign is that uh, sin is maturing is that, you know, we, we kind of disregard shame. Now I'm not shay- saying that shame is a good thing, but, but the sense of shame can hold us back sometimes from doing some dumb things. But if sin is in us, it's kind of like, well, is, you know what? Hang the consequences. I'm going to do it anyway. There's no sense of shame around that. And it's, um, <clears throat> I think also another sign that sin has kind of gotten a hold of us is that our perception of the truth is distorted. And that uh, we, we start, as I was saying before, justifying and, and, and explaining. Another consequence of an indulged sin is that um, it involves some sort of concealment. All of a sudden there's this ill dark area in our life. We're concealing some things and uh, you know it means that we're indulging uh, some things in our life that we probably shouldn't be. So sin, any, any indulged sin, even now, will be always sapping life, weakening faith... Till faith can believe nothing and removing all consciousness brings forth the death of hope in heaven. So if we've got that un, uh, unkind of restrained sin in our life and that's growing into maturity, it's, uh, it weakens faith. We lose sight of God. We lose sight of uh, um, fellowship and connection and we lose ultimately sight of hope in heaven. Sin is not finished yet. All sin has in it is a necessary to increase. Sin does not finish its work until death has come. And so sin is always wanting to do more. You can't just contain it and, and you know, nurture it in a contained space. It will always grow more. It is not finished yet. Sin makes sin. Now, the working of sin does not end with the angry speech, the lie, the act of dishonesty or sensual indulgence. It hardens, it darkens, it debases the nature, it renders the heart open, more open than before to all evil influences and less open to all good. And unless the, unless the divine mercy intervene will certainly at last yield as its final result death in the most comprehensive and awful sense of the word. Why would we not deal with sin? We need to deal with it. Deal with it in our lives. So the process of sin. The third thought, I'm sorry, this is pretty heavy, isn't it? (laughs) It gets better. I think we've we've kind of of hit the bottom now. We're going to launch again. So learn how to overcome temptation. Please breathe with me here. You're all very, very quiet. James 1, 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So this is... the, the follow on scripture from the one that we read before about uh, you know, sin ultimately leading to death. But he's saying, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. It's almost like we've well, changed subject and he's off on a completely different tangent. No, he's not. This is, this is how we learn to overcome temptation, it's not a different subject. He gives us the gifts to help us out, and we're not tempted beyond the ability to resist. There are two things that are crucial in our understanding of dealing with temptation when we find ourselves confronted with this thing. So, we've, we've kind of identified where sin will take us the li- if we allow the little thing of sin to grow, where that will take us. But now, and it starts in temptation, but now it's dealing with temptation. So two ways. He gives us the gifts to help us out. They come from him. And um, we're not tempted beyond our ability to resist. So how could we lose? It's like we're given the tools. We're given the way out. Why are we still contending with this stuff? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That means you. That means me. We are not tempted beyond what we can bear or resist or overcome. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. How cool is that? So that you can stand up under it. I love the fact that we're not just left to deal with this temptation on our own. We know that God thinks that we're big enough to overcome this thing. Thank you, God for all these temptations. I love it. I don't but you think it's in me, so I'm going to rise to that. And he provides a way out. In Hebrews 4:15 and 16. Love this scripture. It says the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he has faced all of the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us where we need it most. Okay, so in Jesus, like Jesus understands what it is to deal with any temptation that comes our way. He is not oblivious to it. He knows the pain of betrayal. He knows the the sense that rejection can do with us. He dealt with um, advances from women and all kinds of things. But he dealt with those temptations in a way that he did not fall over. And so there is not a temptation that has come our way that he... He goes, I know how you feel. He goes, I actually know how hard that is. I know how difficult it is. But I've given you a way out. And And I know that you are big enough to be able to overcome this. And so he identifies with us in our pain. Mercy and grace. I love that. When we come to that throne, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace. There is nothing more comforting to know that there is mercy and grace on the other side of our stuff-ups. Amen? So we just, you know, it's, it's like, and it's not, it's this, the second and the third and the fourth chance. On the other side of the stuff-ups that we make, there is mercy and grace. three things though that will help us access the mercy and grace we need to avoid harmful influences people vices places environments that will be harmful to us we need to actually avoid those places so we don't put ourselves into a situation that's going to be uncomfortable we counter the temptation with god's word And third thought is that we develop healthy relationships. Just want to pack these a little bit. You know, I I think about, um, so avoiding harmful influences, people, places, vices. Do yourself a favor. Don't put yourself in situations where you know you're going to be tempted. It's common sense. But it's kind of like, oh, I'm bigger than this or whatever. But, you know, do yourself a favor. Counter the temptation with God's word. That's the way Jesus did it. He was tempted in the wilderness when he was at his weakest, which is when temptation usually comes at us, when we're feeling our weakest, our least resilient. He countered it with the word. You and I counter with the word as well. So do that and then develop healthy relationships. I can remember I was in a small group after I got saved in a parachurch youth ministry. I was a 17-year-old kid and I joined, they called them growth groups in those days. It was kind of like, well, okay, that's the next thing you do when you become a Christian. You join a small group. I think I've been in a small group ever since. Since 1976. Because that's where you actually do the journey together. That's where... You, that's the, the value of it and the power of it. That's why we, we kind of promote the small group life of our church because it's invaluable for our growing as Christians. Because we, you know, problem shared is a problem halved, you know, and, and as it's, we're only as, as sick as our secrets, as I've heard it said, you know, and it's kind of like, let's learn to do. Life, learn to be uh, open handed and open hearted and open spirited you know it's kind of like you I believe it or not, you know I was pretty open in that small group, that very first small group I'm not in touch with any of those people anymore, but I've been in many, many small groups since, and some there are still people that were in that first small group that I'm friends with today, so it's kind of like that you, won't have, uh, you may find friends for life in your small group, although you may not be in the group for life. It's kind of like, but we embrace a way of doing kingdom living that helps us overcome these things that want to take us out. And so develop healthy, healthy relationships. Proverbs 24, 6 says this, Don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. That's what a small group is all about. Helping us in the war that life is out there. And so that's why it's so important. Life Keys is another thing. It's a small group immersive experience where you get... So for those of you who are married here, I would encourage you, sign up for making marriage better. It will be a really helpful thing for you to do and, and, it, and because it will make your marriage better. It's an immersive small group experience for 10 weeks or 8 weeks or whatever it is, but you will... Benefit from it. And that's, that's the value of this. So develop healthy relationships. You know, I think the workplace can be a real place of pressure for us as Christians. A real place of pressure for us as Christians. I can remember when, uh, when I used to work in construction that I was um, on building sites. And we would when we finished like a high-rise building, you put the, put the roof on, there'd be a topping out party. And those parties would be really raunchy parties. They would hire in all sorts of people and um, it, you know, those days would freak me out when those parties were on because the thing about it is when people know that you're a Christian and you stand for certain things, they seem to want to take joy in putting you in situations that are going to compromise you. So there are an, a very few days when I wasn't at work, but they were those days when I wasn't at work because I wasn't going to put myself in a situation where I was going to be a um, victim of something like that. So, So anyway, fourth thought, wrapping up quickly. So that third thought then is learn how to overcome temptation. We avoid harmful influences. We counter temptation with God's word. Develop healthy relationships. The fourth thought then is, We fall in love with Jesus. He is the only one that can help us defeat sin. We don't just try to fight sin. We fall more in love with Jesus. So we don't look at the sin that is the figurative tree. We actually look at the expansive love of Jesus and all that offers to us. So I'm not focusing on the one thing. I'm focusing on on Jesus and what he gives to us James 1 says he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word and we out of all creation became his prized possession he chose to give birth talks about our salvation and gave us the true word talks about Jesus we have salvation through Jesus and guess what you you yes you are his prized possession you are the most prized thing that he has and that's why he loves you so much and doesn't leave us to fight these battles on our own. He gives us the, the, the resources. He, he makes the way for us and, and knows that we are able to overcome it. Jesus is madly in love with you. You are his prized possession. He believes in you and knows that you can overcome this temptation that comes your way. You don't have to give in to this thing. And that's inspiring to me. And so we don't actually have to obey the commands. Um, Let me just go back. John 14, I missed a scripture here. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. The focus isn't on obeying the commands. The focus is on loving Jesus. When we love Jesus, the obeying of the commands will become a byproduct of that. And so we focus on our love for Jesus and what that looks like. And if we're focusing on our love for Jesus, we're not, we're not embracing and fantasizing about other things. We're, we're focusing on Jesus. He is madly in love with you and with me. And so that becomes the power of it. We can't do this in our own strength. We need Jesus. And the moment we admit that, that, hey, God, I can't do this without you. We're actually in a far better place to overcome the temptation. But remember what we opened up with, the thought that there's no one to blame, just me. It's like, this is where the buck stops. Let's just bow our heads. Holy Spirit, today, today in this place, I would ask that each and every person here would fall more in love with Jesus. And because of that, we will obey the commands. We will resist the temptations. We will flee the lusts. We will not allow sin to grow. We will boldly approach the throne of mercy and grace and shower ourselves in in those incredible privileges that are ours because he loves us. And I want, to, I want to exhort you today. Don't let negative little things grow into negative big things. Father, today I pray for every single person facing temptation. I pray for a revelation that you are not allowing us be, to be tempted beyond our ability to resist. I pray that something would stand up on the inside of us to resist what the enemy is wanting to bring us down with. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that it's not too much to handle and that you give us a way of escape. Father, right now, I ask that you would help us all for more and more and more in love with you today. I pray that you would help us come boldly before the throne of grace. And I thank you, God. I pray in this place let every Eyes closed and head is bound. That today, if you know that you need to fall more in love with Jesus, whether for it's the very first time or you know you've drifted away and allowed things into your world that have blinded you to his love for you. I'm going to ask you in a moment to just raise your hand. I'm not going to get you out or anything like that. I just want to I'll give you the opportunity to say, you know what, this is a defining moment in my life. From this day forward, i leave this place in a different way, with a different heart and a different sense in me. A sense of mercy and grace actively working in my life. A sense of forgiveness. A sense of, Lord, that, that is provoked by repentance. You know, your, uh, a raised hand will signal, You know what, God? I'm sorry. I've tried to do it my own way. I wasn't able to resist it. But Lord, now I know with your help, I can. Father, help each and every one of us fall more in love with you today than we have ever been before. So if you believe that God has been speaking to you today about falling more in love with him, then why don't you just raise your hand now and say, yes, that's me. God, I want to fall more in love with you today. Who wants to make that decision this day? Thank you, God. I just desire to fall more in love with you today, God, than ever before. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. I see it. Thank you. Father, I pray. As we make these declarations today, that we want to fall more in love with you. I thank you for the the privilege of boldly approaching your throne of grace. Where mercy and grace are poured out upon us without measure. And that we don't have to do and fight these battles on our own. I thank you, Lord, as you seal in the heart of every single person here the reality to fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we give the Lord a clap offering this morning? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm going to hand back to to Ben. Thanks, Ben.